Captain's Log, the podcast devoted to discussions and insights into pop culture with an emphasis on the supernatural, occult, and the all-around strange happenings of our world. Our mission? To boldly entertain like no one has before. Start date 09-19-2020. Welcome back, everybody, to the show with the most time in between episodes. This <laughs> is your captain speaking, Jose Valle Jr., joined virtually from the home of the Field of Dreams, hey. Iowa, by my first officer, Mason Stacy Schrader. Mason, <laughs> can you say hello to everyone who's here with us and tell us how uh, the hell you've been since the last time I spoke to you? Okay, yeah, there's a few things, first off. Yeah, this is the home of the Field of Dreams. Dreams. Kevin Costner was here once. Uh, I've been to Field of Dreams. Pretty great. Uh, second off, my middle name isn't Stacy. You made that up. I'm pretty sure that's your middle name. I, last time I checked. You should check with your birth certificate if you think I'm wrong. <laughs> I called uh, your parents. <laughs> I called your mom just to make sure that I could say that, and she verified it. So, uh, But also, I mean, like I've been good if... By good, I mean soul-crushing uh, repetition until I die. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, seems yeah. to be what's happening to me, that which is like be... I get it; it's what everybody does. Right. But um, but still, it fucking sucks, doesn't it? You still have to get used to it, apparently, and I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, uh, folks, I know it's been a, uh, so long. Uh, I don't even know what to say. Um, it's been like We're, Mason said. It's listen. Kinda- yeah, listen. Go ahead. We are we are in our early twenties, and we are doing our goddamn best. I'm doing okay? my best. All right, we're all I, doing our best. Mason's I doing just, his best. I'm doing my best. I just graduated into a from college right into the middle of a global pandemic. Okay. Yeah, and a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot has changed for me in the last little bit. I just started a, yes. a job in education, so I constantly want to fucking blow my brains out. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm still working in the thing I went to college for, and I still want to blow my brains out. <laughs> so it's okay, it's hard, and we're trying our best. It's fun because they let me make videos sometimes, the school I work for, and I'm like, isn't this great? I went two, two years to college for this shit. Um, <laughs> let's At see. least you're not, you didn't go to school for four years to be a fucking intern. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but in this hiatus, we, we've brainstormed some very fun ideas for future episodes, and we're looking at having a guest on, uh, hopefully very soon, who's been on the And we're still friends. Before, and we're still acquaintances who work together. Uh, that uh, hurt my feelings. <laughs> so before we continue our notorious narratives of the Northeast, uh, let's give our disclaimer for those of you first joining us. We won't get to every urban legend out there, and we aren't necessarily covering the most popular urban legends from each state. The legends we choose are chosen on the basis of whether or not they would make for interesting conversation above all else. And we will continue with our rating system of spooky or kooky, which means exactly what it sounds like. Uh, We will be taking a look at the two states of Massachusetts and New Hampshire today. Uh, With that out of the way, Mason, shall we begin? Oh, yeah. It's just dark. It's dark in my house, so I'm ready for it to be spooky. <laughs> I read I read the other day that in the Spanish versions of Harry Potter, Voldemort's name is translated to Mr. Spooky. <laughs> it's like Senor or something, but it translates <laughs> to Mr. Spooky. And man, I, that has been stuck in my brain 
for a long time. I haven't read the Spanish versions, but I wouldn't put it past them. Um, <laughs> a road trip into the eerie and absurd begins in the old colony state of Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Futurama gag is in old timeies, the S's looked like F's. So they call it <laughs> Massachusetts. Uh, in southeastern Massachusetts lies Bristol County, an area known to locals as the most haunted place in New England. Many locals believe that the energy that lies there is what has contributed to haunted schools, ghostly armies, and unexplained suicides and murders. For the past 40 years, cults have flocked there and their activities, often criminal, have been the cause of local law enforcement's stress. But of all the unknown horrors that live in Bristol County, the one that causes the most fear among locals is not an animal or a ghost, or a member of the supposed satanic cults that walk the forest. Instead, it is a diminutive demon. A diminutive demon-like creature. Only two feet tall. I'm just laughing at this description. Only two feet tall. The puck wedgie. <laughs> oh my god it was scared. such a pro- that was such a promising intro of like cults have flocked there and suicides and and everything for the puck wedgie, puck wedgie. <laughs> and i know it's a native name so i'm not but just <clears throat> just imagine being fucking scared of the puck listen wedgie. i'm allowed as a person who's Speaks English to think other people's <laughs> words for things sound funny, even if I don't speak them. Okay, okay. that's 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 allowed. <laughs> okay, fucking Puckwudgie is a funny name. It doesn't matter. The Puckwudgies have haunted the forest of Mass long before the white colonizer ever dreamt of bringing disease and struggling to survive in the Cape area. A little dig of the uh, uh, the I pilgrims. Like we deserve it. <laughs> they taunted- I'll speak for white men here. We deserve it. They taunted the Native American tribes of the area for centuries. Puckwudgies translates to person of the wilderness. They have human-like features with long pointed ears, a long snout-like nose, and long spindly fingers. Their skin has been described as smooth and gray, often being compared to trolls or goblins, and often they are often described with long porcupine-like spikes on their bodies. The nature of the Puckwudgies varies from region to region. Some tribes saw them as peaceful and even helpful to humans. Others saw them as mischievous and yet still harmless, and to others they were murderous monsters. <laughs> they didn't fuck around with them. <laughs> they don't fuck around with the Puckwudgie. One of the earliest literary mentions of Puckwudgies came in Henry War- Wadsworth's Longfellow's poem. What a fucking name. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In his poem, The Song of Hiawatha, that... Um, and they were they were mentioned that they killed the giant Quasind by pelting him with pine cones. The Pugwudgie <laughs> The Pugwudgie has a variety of magical abilities that make it a danger. Oh, of course it does. <laughs> Obviously, dummy. They can appear and disappear at will and are yeah. said to be able to transform into other animals. Course, they have an mark. arsenal of magical poison arrows that can kill and create fire at will. <laughs> right, obviously. I mean, come on, this is elementary shit right here. <laughs> they are also said to have control over Tepawankas, which are the souls of Native Americans they have killed. So that sucks if your grandpa got killed by Pukwudgie, because now he's he's their bitch. So, <laughs> big tough for your grandpa. Big tough. What makes the Pukwudgie stand out from the collection of other short mythological creatures is that sightings and encounters are still reported today. The following comes from an article that first appeared in 2005 on the website Massachusetts Paranormal, 
which was reposted on SpookySouthCoast.com since Mass Paranormal has been taken down. <laughs> oh, SpookySouthCoast.com, huh? <laughs> uh, I will link... Uh, I will link to the article in the show notes. So this is from this is from that article. Joanne was walking her dog through the state forest in Freetown, Massachusetts, on a uh, cold Saturday I'm gonna Saturday have to morning. I'm gonna have to interrupt you. That name is definitely Joan. Is that not how you spell Joanne? <laughs> <laughs> no, Joanne has t- another N and an E at the end. That's Joan. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've upset some mid uh, fucking middle mid. It's not even Midwest, wife. I've upset some Southeastern wife. You've upset some white ladies, that's for sure. Uh, so she was walking her dog. Uh, and in, Joan was. In, Joan was walking her dog through the state forest in Freetown, Massachusetts, on a cold Saturday morning in April when she saw the monster. As she and her dog, Sid, walked down the path, Sid became anxious and strayed a few feet into the woods. Joan followed him in and stopped short. Her dog was lying completely flat in the leaves and on a rock ten feet away was a pugwudgie. She described him as looking like she, what she would describe as a troll, two feet high with pale gray, gray skin and hair on his arms and the top of his head. The monster seemed to have no clothes, but it was difficult to tell because his stomach hung over his waist. All right, fucking So he wasn't hanging. <laughs> Why don't you? He wasn't hanging dog, <laughs> yeah. is what she's saying. Okay. Almost touching his knees, is that's how big his stomach was. <laughs> oh my goodness. Fucking fat his, shaming his him. Tummy, that's how big his tummy was. Yeah. His eyes were a deep green, and he had large lips and a long, almost canine nose. Why did she have to point out the lips thing? That's kind of weird, Joe. She certainly got a really good look at this thing. He had large, luscious, full lips that you just could just melt really, into. It's just, just really kissable. Just really kissable. I just, I just want to kiss. I just want to kiss. Joan, did you kiss the pug? Why'd you? Huh? What? Sorry, oh, what? I dozed off. Uh, no, I didn't kiss a pug, a pukwudgy. And even if I had, I mean, it wouldn't have been the most romantic kiss of my life. All right, Joan, we're going to have to ask you to stay away from the children. That's <laughs> that's just not okay, all right? You just kissed a child, Joan. <laughs> I mean, granted, he's an ugly kid. We, we're, No one's arguing with that, but uh, still, <laughs> you can't do it. The Pukwudgie stood watching her, staring straight at her with no expression, almost like it was stunned to see her. Joan froze and remembers thinking that the air in her lungs had been pushed out. Sid finally came to and... Okay, so that's just breathing. Yes. Pushing air out of your lungs is just breathing. That's just what breathing is. And then my and then my lungs did a weird thing where they absorbed air and they pushed it out. And I was really confused. <sighs> oh my god, just like that, I did it again. Oh, oh god, I can't stop. Sid finally came to and ran back towards the trail, dragging Joan, who was still holding the leash tightly. Although the whole exchange took less than 30 seconds, it remains with Joan 10 years later. She has not gone back to the forest, but feels that might not be enough. Three times since the event, she has woken up to find the demon looking in on her. It has never attacked her or spoken to her. She has merely seen it looking through her bedroom window, staying just long enough for her to notice him. All three times, she claims she was fully awake and could move if she had to. Hey, uh, go socks. Oh you my know what God. I'm saying? Pukwudgie? Uh, yeah, it's me. It's the Pukwudgie. Yeah. <laughs> me and my fucking here? boys. I'm in, I'm, in my, I'm in my nightgown. Oh, no, yeah. Mr. Pukwudgie. You got long nipples. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know how to take that. I don't know if that's a compliment. Or... Your nipples are long. I don't know what to tell you. Oh. I'm going to go get a cream, a, a Boston cream pie. <laughs> And uh, watch Goodwill Hunting. Well, you could 
You could give me a Boston cream pie, Mr. Pugwudgie. Don't be gross, Joan. I'm going to fucking head. I'm going to go take a piss. Uh, I'll be back later to stare at you more. <laughs> Another man in Framingham, Massachusetts, had an Another exp- man in Framingham. Fucking Massachusetts. With These goddamn names. names are amazing. Uh, he had an ex- he had an experience that forced him to remain away from the woods. Tim was in a forest when he saw a bright orb in front of him. Having investigated the paranormal, he was excited and tried to snap a photo with his digital camera. The ball of light disappeared and reappeared a few feet further in the woods. Tim followed, losing the spirit several times before he realized he had traveled more than 30 feet off the path into a thickly wooded area. He became scared and slowly made his way back to the path, only to find a two-foot man standing there, walking towards him. He turned and ran. Oh my god! Jesus fucking Christ! It's, uh, it's me. Uh, I'm the Pukwaji. Ah! What do you want? I'm just going home. What do you want? You're standing in my woods. I was just staring at this long nipple bitch named Joan. (laughs) And now I'm trying to go home. I just fucking, me and my buddies got fucking pissed. Hey, you see the new Mark Wahlberg movie? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Everyone forgets that he beat the shit out of that Vietnamese man. <laughs> oh, shit. You should probably cut that out. <laughs> no, I think everybody needs to remember that Mark Wahlberg did that. Oh, I, I know agree, he's apologized, but... but I don't think we should forget. I just, I, yeah, we can forgive, but we probably shouldn't We can forget. never forget. He we shouldn't, and... <laughs> anyway. He turned and ran, and looking back, saw the figure move back into the woods. Tim reported that what he saw had walked upright and had used its arms to push something aside when he fled to the forest. He had moved with a slight limp, but like a human. The second time Tim saw the Pukwudgies was a few years later in a parking lot near the same forest. He was listening to the radio at almost a whisper and checking his rearview mirror for the friend he was waiting for when he saw the same small figure of a man. Every detail was identical, and the Pukwudgie just stood there, watching him. The car turned on by itself. (laughs) Oh my god, Pukwudgie! Ah, ah, what's up? This guy's like fucking Heinz Doofenshmirtz. He's like, a mysterious two-foot man? <laughs> a Pukwudgie who's two-foot tall? Like, every time he's fucking surprised that it's the Pukwudgie, even though he knows that it's the pu- He's like, who's this short two-foot tall man? Oh my god, it's the Pukwudgie. Yeah, no shit, who else is it? How many fucking two-foot tall men do you know? I- <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I don't even... <laughs> um... So, yeah, so the car turned on by itself, and his radio began to get louder. Tim pulled out of the parking lot and took the long way home to try and stop his hands from shaking. Although and his the mo- friend got murdered by a buck one day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he just left. was like, fuck my friend. <laughs> yeah. Although the monster seemed content to only frighten Joan and Tim, there are still physical attacks happening. Several people have been assaulted, and one person came down with a mysterious illness after seeing them in a cemetery in New Hampshire. Another <laughs> like woman- a buck fever. Oh my god, that Pugwudgie. Oh, he just gave me a fever. Oh god. I can't get over him. He's in my thoughts. He's in my dreams. I don't know why everyone's trying to fuck this Pugwudgie. <laughs> I mean, look at him, Mason. Tell me you wouldn't fuck that Pugwudgie. I, I wouldn't fuck this spiky this spiky Pugwudgie. I wouldn't. Uh, well, that's what everybody says until they see what they're packing down there. All right? Let's just say they're short, but uh, they're not small, if you know what I mean. Okay, great. Another woman suffered scratches on her arm after following an orb in a forest in Taunton, Massachusetts. Uh, The most disturbing recurring attacks might be taking place at the Pugwudgie's favorite hunting ground. 
In the Freetown free State Forest, there is a 100-foot cliff overlooking a quarry known as the Ledge. There have been many hauntings at this site, but the most frequent experience is an overwhelming feeling to jump to the rocks and water below. <laughs> okay. That's called life, and yeah, it's fucking terrible, say, but we're going to make it through right. it, guys. Every the, time I'm on a cliff, too, I'm like... I'm always like, oh, I could jump. I could just be done. I, I could just be right done, now. but then I'm like, I got to go back to I doing shit. job. In the folklore of the Wapanog, the Puckwudgies, <laughs> I'm sure I... It's Wapanog. Wapanog. Just listening to you have to try is the best. <laughs> the Puckwudgies were known to lure people to cliffs and push them off to their death. There have been several unexplained suicides at the ledge, often by people who had no signs of depression or mental illness before entering the forest. So, Mason, what do you make of the Pugwudgie? <laughs> Spooky or kooky? That's my, that my Boston accent. It was, kind of, it was pretty good. It sounded kind of like okay. JFK. Yeah, well, he was from Mass. I know. That's what I'm saying. It was uh, pretty good. You uh, think uh, do you is think this is uh, spooky or uh, uh, kooky? Uh, I lost it at the end. The but scariest thing like was not Jackie catching me with Marilyn. It was the Pukwudgie. <laughs> anyway. I uh, uh, am afraid of the Pukwudgie. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was a fucking Pukwudgie that shot JFK. Little known facts. <laughs> the fucking I don't know. It's, I it certainly isn't very scary sounding. I, I've heard of puck wedges before. This was one I'd heard of. I mean, their description, like looking at some of the pictures, they are kind of weird looking. But yeah. they just seem to just stare at people. Well, I guess that I would unsettle too. me, but they it sound like sounds kooky to me. <laughs> They sound like squirrels. They're like squirrels right. to me. They, they 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 react like squirrels when I see a squirrel and they're just like freeze and like stare at me and I'm like, uh, fuck okay, off, Mr. Squirrel. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I just, don't know. Yeah, I just to me it's kooky. It's not the best one that I've. Also, they call it a puckwudgie, and that's yeah. it's not a good name for something to be afraid of. Uh, like, it's like Wendigo bi- is good, or yes. Skinwalker is good. Or it's like, like the fucking uh, the bye bye man. Yeah, like, <laughs> you remember the bye bye yeah. man, and it was like, why would you name your terrifying creature the bye bye man? Oh god, yeah, I would yeah. say kooky for me then. Yeah, same. Okay, it's moving on to the next one. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty one. <laughs> It's a beautiful song. I love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> All right. The story of Lizzie Borden and the Borden House murders is one that has persisted through time. It is a sad and gruesome story of death, accusation, and mystery. Lizzie Borden's parents were murdered in their home in the most grisly fashion. Mr. Borden's head was so damaged he was hardly recognizable. It's said that the home is still haunted by the spirits of hey, the Bordens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't tell by the face, but uh, that's Mr. Borden's dick right there. <laughs> That I can tell. I, I get it. His head is split to shit, but uh, I know that dick anywhere. And that's uh, that's Mr. Borden's dick. Captain, how how do you know what his dick looks like? Uh, it's just uh, it's just uh, it's, uh, it's what I do. I'm uh, uh this is why I'm. Uh, listen, you don't get the police chief by not knowing what dicks look like. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't think I do. No. All right, well, why don't you tell that to your dick with the freckle that's just underneath your left ball? Wait, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, Mason, Mason, Mason. What the fuck? How did you know that? 
Wait, what's happening? Are we breaking character? <laughs> Mason, how did you know that I have a... Yeah, we'll talk about this later. I'm kind okay. of freaked out. Yeah, we know should that. probably come back to that. I don't know. Do I have a magical talent? <laughs> Uh, Mr. Bord- yeah, Mr. Borden's head was so damaged that he was hardly recognizable, right? And it's said that the home is still haunted by the spirits of the Bordens and their widely accepted killer among the mainstream, Lizzie. The house is home to the ghostly specter of a black cat, which I thought you would love. Oh, I do love black cats. They're my favorite things. They're my favorite animal. They're my favorite uh, spooky thing. Uh, yeah, what do you... You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. You got it, yeah. Uh, and Mr. Borden is said to strangle visitors... Uh, they come to the home. <laughs> uh, the home is still in perfect condition as it was back then, and like the Velisca Axe murder house, it has become a part of America's dark tourism. But that is just the legend. What is the story behind it, you might ask? Uh, What's the story behind it, Jose? I don't know. Actually, I couldn't oh, find anything oh. on it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just fucking kidding. Yes, I do. Oh. Let's get into it. <laughs> Lizzie was born on July 19th, 1860, in Fall River, Massachusetts. Her mother, Sarah died when she was only two years old and her father Andrew, a very unpopular man in the town, <laughs> remarried when she was five to Abby. Wait, he was, why he was, was very he unpopular? Because like, he, he was like a rich guy. He was like a richy rich rich guy, you know what I mean? And people okay. just didn't fuck with him. He was like He's Jeff just, Bezos of his time. Was he an asshole or was he just like He rich? certainly sounds like he was an asshole, yes. Alright, fair enough. Um, so he remarried when Lizzie was five to Abby Durfee Gray, who Lizzie only ever referred to as Mrs. Borden. Lizzie was an avid churchgoer, a Sunday school teacher, and was also involved in the temperance movement, which campaigned in favor of prohibition. So she was a bit of a fucking prude. Uh, Her stepmother is believed to have been incredibly incredibly paranoid in the days leading up to her death. You see, just before she was popped like a tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) You're very proud of that, aren't you? Yes. As I was writing it, I was like, fuck, that might be too far, but we're going to keep it. I like it. Mrs. Borden believed that the family had been poisoned, although many believe they were all just simply suffering from food poisoning, but not Abby. She believed it was an assassination attempt. At the time of her father and stepmother's death, Lizzie was 32 years old and living with her parents, which was the standard at the time for a single woman, but get a fucking job, Lizzie, you goddamn bum. Yeah, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna make fun of her, but apparently, that's true. I mean, she's not married, so I mean, she couldn't possibly live on her own. Right. <laughs> Abby, Abby, and Andrew were found dead on Thursday, August fourth, eighteen ninety-two. Andrew was found in the living room by Lizzie. He had been struck in the face to the point that he was almost unrecognizable. Abby was found in the second floor. Oh, that's floor. my dad's dick, though. Oh, no, I recognize that no. dick. No, not <laughs> that way. Just because, like everybody knows. No. When we get to the theories, you'll see why. Oh, no. Oh, no. Abby was found in the second floor guest room by the maid, Bridget Sullivan, face down, head smashed. The, that should be a face band. Face down. <laughs> That's a band right there. Smashed. Face down, head smashed. Or a song by like a punk no, uh, rock band. Well, there's that, ba- you know, there's a song that's like face down, ass up. <laughs> face down. <laughs> the head smashed. The that's poli- the way. The police immediately suspected Lizzie since she was very calm and collected the day the bodies were found. Lizzie claimed to have been out of the house for half an hour and that Bridget had been resting in her bedroom due to feeling unwell all day. 
Police suspicions were furthered by the fact that Lizzie's testimony was full of contradictory statements and unlikely scenarios. For example, she told police that she had taken her father's boots off and helped him into slippers when he came home from his daily walk that morning. Andrew, however, was found with his boots still on. In the, <laughs> it, uh, okay. <laughs> in the days right. following the murders, Lizzie was seen cutting up and burning a dress, which she claimed was ruined by a pain stain, a fact that several witnesses corroborated. Lizzie Wait, was, you know what happens is when you get paint on a dress, you just fucking burn it. <laughs> That's her ripping no, the dress. <laughs> no one can ever see the painted dress. And everybody's like, it was yeah, painted yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah. red. She, uh, she had some red paint on that. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you fucking tell them about the red paint or you'll get the fucking axe. Oh, too. yeah. Uh, Lizzie, uh, uh, Lizzie definitely had red paint on it. I don't know why that's because mine. That was good. I don't know what you were doing there at the end with the accent, but the words were good, so I'll take it. Um, Lizzie was still arrested and held in jail for 10 months as she awaited her much-publicized trial. Evidence in the case was scarce, and no body clothes were ever... No bloody body clothes. No bloody clothes were ever discovered in the home, and doubts were raised about whether the found hatchet was actually the murder weapon. Lizzie also claimed to have been in the family's barn at the time of the murders. Which another I witness confirmed, the seeing her there. <laughs> she couldn't have possibly done it. She was in the barn. I mean, I don't know yeah. exactly what time they Not died. You shut the fuck up. You tell him I was in the barn. And also, we don't have the best forensic science, so it's possible that she killed him afterwards. But uh, she was in the barn for sure. She was certainly in the barn at one point in time. <laughs> I have seen her multiple times go to that barn, yes. <laughs> She also appeared as a much more sympathetic person during the trial and even fainted at one point when her parents' damaged skulls were brought before the court. Here's oh. the thing. I would oh, too. Because I was, I was reading more into this and apparently it was just like they, they decapitated the heads from the bodies at the autopsy and they just fucking brought them into the courtroom to be like, look at how smashed up these are. <laughs> look how fucked these fucking heads are, huh? Like, they had picked cameras at that point. They could have just taken pictures of them. But nah, nah, nah. Whoever, that takes like eight, they, nine months to fucking They took process. a picture of the crime scene. You can find a picture of the crime scene. So it makes me think that whoever this fucking med- like this medical examiner is was just like, oh, no, no, no. I can cut him off. I can cut him off. You know, it's fine. I'll cut the heads off. I'll cut the heads off. I'll bring him into the courtroom. Don't even worry about it. No, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. Ah, uh, you're a... Uh, oh, no, I'd like to submit... Uh, <laughs> These fucked up heads. <laughs> the judge is like, all right, I'll allow it. Uh, oh, excuse me. As you can uh, see, uh, these heads are uh, fucking smashed. Oh, my God, no. Yeah, like pumpkins. Jesus Christ, did you really have to cut their heads off? Yeah, we, well, uh, yeah, we cut their heads off and brought them in and... As you can see here, an axe fucking, it like did that thing where it cut his eye in half, so there's like his eye is like, like leaked down each side. Look, you can use the pupil as a super ball. Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, I don't remember why we brought these in here, but uh, they're pretty fucked. So. After an hour of deliberation, the jury found Lizzie was not found guilty. But the rumors persisted through the rest of her life, and she changed her name to Lizbeth. Because that's different enough, oh, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, that's, and, I mean, to be fair, it was the 1800s. You could have right. fucking, you could have gone a mile down the road, and people would be like, never heard of you. Uh, and she died at the age of 66 from a bout of pneumonia. There are many theories as to what truly happened on that fateful day. Some are that Lizzie did it in the nude, 
hence no bloody clothes, that her sister Emma did it, that Lizzie and the maid were a secret lesbian couple and they did it together, Mm. uh, which would explain why the maid also wasn't killed because she was like, that would explain like she was uh, Lizzie jumping to her defense and being like, she was laying down because she was also sick. Um, So sick. So sick. I was in the barn and she was in the bed, in my bed and... Uh, who knows? I don't know. What's up? What's the question? Can you go back to it? Lizzie, uh, the, another one is that Lizzie did it to make sexual abuse at the hands of her father stop. Um, the maid ah. did it to make sexual abuse in the household stop. Um, <laughs> okay. And the, there was a nurse who treated Lizzie at the end of her life who claims Lizzie told her she had a boyfriend who her father hated and he was the one who did it. But the truth behind the Borden House murders remains to this day unsolved. But if you catch yourself in the vicinity of the old Victorian home, it's possible you might catch a glimpse of a specter in the window of the tormented house. Mason, spooky or just plain old good old 1800s kooky? Uh, I like a good axe mystery. I like axe murders. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, okay, I don't like the way I said I like axe murders. I'm not saying the that I murdered will be people contacted. with an axe. <laughs> Well, I mean, I uh, they're fun. Uh, the, oh no! Oh no! They're on their way. Um, no, I don't know. Um, that one's pretty. It's certainly fun. It, that's a fun story, right? Um, I I don't know. What do you think? What What do you think I happened think in the, the board? I love. House? I don't know that I know. Hmm. I think it goes either ways. I think she could have done it, or she couldn't have done it. Um, wow hard-hitting journalism jose no but i think the legend itself as in like the house is haunted by mr uh borden or whatever i don't think that's as scary to me i mean i think it would be cool to stay at it just like velisca axe murder but with this one it was only two people so it doesn't speak to me as much as the velisca axe murder house does where it was like a whole fucking family yeah um and this one they had a suspect whereas that one it was like not even close to being solved that's so, true. to me, the legend is kooky. I like the mystery behind it, though. I think the mystery of who the fuck did kill them. I think it's easily. I could I could easily see being Lizzie. I mean, I think that whole story of the nurse being like, it was her secret boyfriend. I think that's bullshit because if you look at Lizzie's life and everything she did, it just doesn't seem like she would have a secret boyfriend. The lesbian couple one makes more sense to me. Uh, just based on okay. her behavior, uh, her mannerisms, like just how she carried herself and like her relationship with the, that maid, it makes more sense that they could that they could have been a lesbian it couple. Is, it is weird. I don't know. Yeah, I get you because it is weird. That right. Because if that the the maid would have lived if it was like right. Say it yeah. was uh, a secret boyfriend. Why not just kill the dad? Why also kill the stepmother? Right, right, and if you kill a stepmother, why why not you kill go, the maid? Why not kill the maid so you leave no witnesses? Right, and you can run away with Lizzie. So I think it's possible that I think Lizzie most, in my opinion, I think she did it because there must have. I mean, her father seemed like he was a very big asshole, and she didn't love her stepmother. She called her Mrs. Borden. She didn't even call her mom or stepmom or right. her fucking first name. So I wouldn't put it past her being the killer. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. That's a certainly a weird ass story. Do you think it's kooky or spooky though? I think it's. I think the. I don't know. I think the murder is spooky. I think the ghost story is kooky. Yes. Okay. 
In the quiet wooded area of Dover, there exists a persistent legend of a strange creature that was seen only briefly in 1977, but the strangeness of the encounter and its description have helped it stay in the minds of the public to this day. People still talk about the elusive Dover Demon. This is a story that was actually requested from us. Um, I can't remember who it was, but one of our listeners that I interact with, a friend, they're not like a close friend. Well, actually, I don't remember who it is, so maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> so one of the listeners who is a friend of mine uh, requested that we talk about the Dover Demon, and I never heard of it, um, but It sounds vaguely familiar to me, but I can't yeah. remember exactly what it is, so I'm excited. Over the span of two nights in April 1977, a group of teenagers all reported encountering a strange creature with a long, watermelon-shaped head and the body of an emaciated monkey with large glowing eyes on an otherwise blank-looking face. Okay, so I know what emaciated means, but I'm going to ask you what it means so you can to make sure that you know what emaciated means. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So emaciated is like... Are you typing? Are you no, typing right now? No, no, no. It, it just means okay. like uh, like abnormally thin or weak. Like, like, ah, okay. Yeah, like a very sickly monkey. Um, okay. There has still been no explanation of these sightings to this day. <laughs> or what exactly? Sorry, I just saw the. Picture. You just saw the picture of what it looks like. I want everybody to go look up the Dover Demon. <laughs> when the person who told me that we should cover this explained this to me, they made it sound like the scariest thing in the world. And I was like, ooh, a Dover fucking, Demon. It looks like I could bully the shit out of this demon. It looks like I could fucking push him over in his big old fucking head and he wouldn't be able to get up. Give him a fucking noogie with no problem. There has still been no explanation of the sightings to this day or what exactly the creature dubbed the Dover Demon is. William Barlett was just 17 years old when he became the first person to encounter the Dover Demon. This occurred as him and two friends, and I love his friend's name, Mike Mazzocco and Andy Whoa. Brody drove Brody, along Farm Street good. just after 10. They seem like just such 70s names. And Farm Mike Street? Mazzocco. Yeah, Farm Street. Yeah. Just after 10 p.m. Barlett witnessed a creature standing on a wall, its eyes glowing in the headlights. It was not a dog or cat. It had no tail. It had an egg-shaped head. Two hours after Barlett witnessed the creature, 15-year-old John Baxter walked his girlfriend home along a heavily wooded area. I'm sure they were just walking home. Oh, uh, geez. Uh, Betty, I had a really good night tonight. I just was so happy that we we got to be together. Uh, yeah. Uh, wh- why did you bring my daughter late, uh, so back so late, son? Uh, well, you see, sir, um, we encountered this very strange creature. Um, it was like a big, it had a big watermelon head, and I definitely wasn't. Uh, gross. That. Son, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't, I don't want you to ever describe your penis to me again. Oh okay? no, That's no, disgusting. sir! I know it's not what you think. All right, I don't care how long and watermelon shaped your head. No, no, boy. sir! I, I don't want to hear about know. that. He said he got within 15 feet of the creature that looked remarkably like the one Barlett saw. Baxter would then also make a sketch of the creature, saying it had long, tendril-like hands and large eyes. He said it stood next to a tree, and its feet seemed to mold over the rocks. Finally, the next night, on April 22nd, at around midnight, 15-year-old... <laughs> oh my year God, old... the, the pictures! Stop it! <laughs> you gotta stop with these fucking pictures. The way it's like feet mold to rocks and it's just on the rocks. A 15, 15-year-old Abby uh, Brabham saw the... Silhouette! 
It's like, no shit, that's a silhouette. Stupid. It's... Stop it. Oh it was God. standing up right next to a tree, she said, much like the sighting the night before. The locations of the sighting, when plotted, lay straight on a line over two miles. All the sightings were made near water. Bartlett is still shaken and haunted by what he saw that night, saying, quote, In a lot of ways, it's kind of embarrassing to me. I definitely saw something. It was definitely weird. I didn't make it up. Sometimes I wish I had. End quote. Some are quick to chalk up Bartlett's encounter and description to being under the influence of drugs or alcohol, but Bartlett is adamant that although they were most likely looking for beer that night, they had not consumed any at that point. Some point to a, a, um, a fowl or baby moose. Full. Uh, uh, it is full. You're right. As I said it, I was like, that's not right. Um, <laughs> as, as being what the teens saw, though April was not full season and none were reported missing at the time, and moose were long gone from Dover at the time of the sighting, and a foal and baby moose are by are not bipedal, nor do they <laughs> sit on top of walls. Um, Lauren Cole. Hey, uh, Betty, is that is that baby moose standing on top of a wall? What the fuck? Yeah, that uh, baby moose is totally standing on top of a wall. See, I think that just- would be scarier. The fuck, yeah, just a, a string of sightings of a baby moose that just fucking stood oh on top of a fucking, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Actually, yeah. you creeped me out. Now I'm looking at my windows fucking paranoid. <laughs> Jesus You're going to fucking wake up and there's going to be a baby moose just fucking standing upright. Ugh, gross. I don't like that, actually. Now I'm scaring myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lauren Coleman, a noted cryptozoologist, believed the teens. He spoke to them within a week of the reported sighting, saying, <laughs> quote, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just the fact that it's like the cryptozoologist. Yeah. Yeah. He believed that of there was... Of course he yeah, did. Of course he did. Like, yeah, duh. Saying, quote, we have a credible case over 25 hours by individuals who saw something. Coleman also notes that he did. <laughs> That's as credible as we get in the cryptid world. <laughs> is we saw something. Coleman also notes that he doesn't think the Dover Demon matches any inexplicable sightings before it, such as those of Chupacabras, the Roswell aliens, or the Kelly Hops- Hopkinsville goblins. Coleman yeah, it also doesn't match any of the other made-up shit that have been said Dude, either. When we get it's Ken- a brand okay. new made-up shit. But Kelly Hopkinsville, when we get to that, Holy shit! I've dude, never is, heard of that. It's such a very weird, interesting event. You'll see when I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. Coleman also pointed out that the area in which the Dover Demon was sighted already had a strange, unexplained already had a history of strange, unexplained activities. "Quote: In the same area, you had three major legends going on, including a sighting of the devil on horseback in the 1600s, stories of buried treasure, and then the Dover Demon." Wait. I think it certainly what? says something. Look, I hate to. <laughs> I love cryptozoologists, but this guy is not doing him any doing him any justice. He's he's doing him as much name. <laughs> he's doing as much justice as ever. No other man, come on! Hey, you look does. at the area, right? You look at the area. There's a lot of stuff going on there. What do you what? So what? Some there stuff? Were... You want me to tell you some stuff? The devil? Yeah, he please tell me some stuff. Uh, when... some somebody said this buried treasure. No, 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 hold on, wait, hold on. When it's was like the, the 1600s. Devil... It's not important. What? And no, no, no said... hold on. That was so long ago. But somebody said this buried treasure. I don't know where, but somebody once said there was buried <laughs> treasure, and then the Dover Demon. Wait, 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 wait. What does buried treasure have to do with Christmas? It's all spooky. It's all it all connects, so I can see What's, why it would happen here. You people, know what I'm saying? I can under people burying treasure is like a real thing. A, a monster is not. Okay, what if I said they buried spooky treasure, like <laughs> spooky, scary, like kind of weird looking, kind of spooky. What makes it spooky? 
I don't know. Maybe there's like a skull shaped like uh, <laughs> coin or something. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you said maybe like you don't even know like you're making it up right now. No, there, there is this, a skull shaped coin. I do know that for a fact. <laughs> I got the skeleton key. This is the key to the treasure. We're going to find it. It's not important though. The Dover demon is definitely real. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go I... do this crack in my van. I'll be right back. <laughs> Coleman, continue. are you living in that van? I mean, I'm not really living. I'm I'm sort of exploring. I'm adventuring, you know. Yeah, but are you sleeping and eating your meals in that van? At the moment, yes, yes, I am. I'm between <laughs> okay. homes. If, um, you know. <laughs> Coleman continued. It's almost out. The, it's almost as if there are certain areas that <laughs> collect sightings, almost in a magnetic way. Now, I agree with that. I do think yeah. that's true. I don't yeah, know that do it's too. true in this case. It should be noted that in <laughs> there was a devil in the 1600s. Random you know fucking treasure. time people saw the devil everywhere in the 1600s. Somebody fucking said a big word and they were like, "That's the devil! Oh my god, he's here! Oh my god, he, oh my god. he said impeccable. What does impeccable oh even mean? I've never heard of such language. It should be noted that in 1972, Mark Sinnott swore he saw a creature in the woods. Something with glowing eyes had turned up in his car headlights, too. Quote, We saw a small figure deep in the woods moving at the edge of the pond. We could see it moving in the headlights. We didn't know. So, Mason. Oh, okay. What do you Great. think? Dover Demon, spooky or kooky? It's fucking kooky as shit. What I think it's so kooky. I think this guy <laughs> genuinely believes he saw something. I think he probably just misidentified something. And then I think it's what just... happened was he went to school the next day. <laughs> and he told people, and then other kids were like, oh, like that 15-year-old kid, him and his girlfriend were definitely doing something in the woods. And then they just covered it up by being like, oh, no, we were spooked. That's why we got home so late. We saw the Dover demon. And then that other girl just wanted to join in on it. I just, I. And then this guy was like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. In 1972, I also saw the same thing. So, like. I don't know. I I do think it's going to be legitimately hilarious when it turns out that cryptids and shit are real, yeah. but none of the actual scary ones are. It's just right. the fucking nerd cryptids like, like this. Like the fucking Dover Demon. If yes. anybody wants to laugh, I think maybe I'll link it in the um, show notes. <laughs> there was this amazing um, Monsters and Myths video from like that History Channel show that I watched where they recreated this <laughs> sighting. <laughs> laughably bad so fucking bad man the cgi was horrible but the acting was way worse at one point one of the guys was like what? wait guys do you see that what is that up there and they're all like whoa what what are you talking about and it's just not <laughs> oof oh anyway <laughs> okay this one is a quick one since there isn't much on this legend. I just thought it was interesting. And that's the legend of the Black Flash of Provincetown, who terrorized the folks there from the late 1930s all the way to the end of world of the Second World War. The Black Flash was reported by some schoolchildren on their way home who said it jumped out from behind the dunes. They said it was tall, dressed in all black, and incredibly fast. And as the children ran, the creature's maniacal laughter echoed behind them. Then it was an adult who claimed to have encountered it. Marie Costa was walking past the Provincetown Hall one October evening when it jumped down in front of her from behind some bushes. In addition to its black wardrobe, she claimed it had glowing blue eyes, silver ears, and could jump impossibly high. She ducked into a nearby coffee shop and told several men what had happened, and they went after it with no luck. The police were said to have chuckled as they took Costa's report. 
After Costa's encounter, after Costa's encounter, more and more uh, reports filtered in. It seemed everyone wanted a piece of the action. Reportedly, even the police started to admit that perhaps there was something to report, something devilish. It was given other names besides the Black Flash, including the province, province town phantom and the Devil of the Dunes. The following is from a uh, gothichorrorstories.com. It's uh, a quote from there. It says, A teenager coming home from the library was accosted and claimed it spewed blue flames. Supposedly, the police had it cornered on a school playground with a high fence. Four officers <laughs> entered the playground with guns drawn, telling the Black Flash of Provincetown to surrender or they'd fire. It laughed and leapt the 10-foot fence. The officers shot but either missed <laughs> or their bullets had no effect. One of the officers claimed the face was but a silver-painted mask. The last reported sighting of the Black Flash of Provincetown came from a group of kids who claimed to have spotted it coming toward them in the fog. After running home and finding the house empty, they locked the doors and listened in horror as it tried to make its way inside. One enterprising child put a kettle on, ran to the second floor, and poured boiling water on its head, and it ran away, never to be seen again. So this fucker is not affected by bullets, but hot water will fucking hurt him. He can take a bullet like it's nothing. It's classic police to try to shoot anything that's black. Right? Right? Uh, If it was the white flash of Provincetown, bet you they wouldn't have Oh, he'd be given a goddamn medal. They would have been like, we're so proud of him. We love (laughs) him. He's the white flash. He's But yeah, I think this is the kookiest fucking shit I've ever heard in my life. I don't, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know if I fully am uh, understanding it. Like, they basically uh, saw like a long, tall figure. Dressed in all black, they don't. I think it was just Usain Bolt dressed in black, and I think he time traveled. Yeah, back to this time, and, and they were like, "Oh shit, Jesus Christ, he's so fast!" Uh yeah. What do you think, though? I think it's kooky. Uh, that's pretty kooky, just because the fact that yeah, they poured boiling water on its head, and it was like, ah, too hot for me, and then it was like, <laughs> ran away. Mason, do you want to do yes. an ad? Um, yes. Okay, let's do that. Mason, you know what I've recently started doing a lot more of? I don't know, crying into your own uh, corner of a room? No, actually, I've been reading a ton. But the thing is, as you know, I have a very busy schedule. So do you want to know how I do do? it? You do? What do you have to do? Schedule between work and crying into that corner of your room? I... I... So... (laughs) Sometimes I, that's besides the point. So sometimes I can't physically read a book, right, while I do it, even if I am crying in the corner of the room, because it's a lot of hard work. But that is where our friends at Audible come in. Audible boasts a collection with thousands of audiobooks, and the thing that Audible offers busy people who don't have time to sit down and read a book is found time, which is the ability to listen to a great audiobook when you're on the move, commuting, cooking, exercising, gardening, eating an entire goddamn family-sized chicken pot pie. And right now you can get a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash captainslog or by clicking the link in the show notes. But if audiobooks aren't your thing, they also have a huge collection of podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. So honestly, what reason do you have for not giving Audible a try? You fucking idiots, huh? What are you doing, just sitting around, 
Fucking jerking it, crying in a goddamn corner, you stupid pieces of shit. Try Audible. I feel like there's there's a very negative energy in the studio right now, and I'm just gonna ignore it. Uh, We're not I'm, in a studio, dummy. I'm in my apartment. I'm I'm recommending John Green's excellent debut book, Looking for Alaska, narrated by Will Wheaton. Um, oh, yeah, William I like Wheaton what, himself. I like William Wheaton. Uh, so you can go get started on your 30-day trial now by going to audibletrial.com slash captainslog or by, again, clicking the link in the show notes. And you'll be helping us out while helping yourself out. So go get started now and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Start reading some books, you goddamn animals. Next, we make a pit stop for gas in the state I entirely forgot existed, the Granite State of New Hampshire. <laughs> I shit you not. Until I looked at this state on this list, I was like, fucking what? New Hampshire? And when I saw it, I was like, I fucking forgot that was even a thing. I, like, I remembered Ver- Vermont. I remembered Maine. I remembered every other state but New Hampshire. I'd make fun of it, but as a person who lives in Iowa, it's kind of the people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. In the waters of New Hampshire sits a city chain of islands who are reportedly home to many spectral residents. It is reported that Blackbeard himself used the islands as a honeymoon destination and, you know, <laughs> murdered Wait, Blackbeard went on a honeymoon? Oh, yeah. It's so weird because Blackmoon actually frequented this area a lot. Blackmoon? You mean Blackbeard? Blackbeard. <laughs> Blackmoon? Blackmoon was just a dude with a really tan ass. <laughs> it would just moon people off the ships and they're like, ah, there goes that Blackmoon. Gar Black Moon with the ass of ebony. <laughs> oh my god. One of these islands stands out the most, and that's the island of Smutty Nose. Of course tourist, it is, duh. A tourist destination which is said to be haunted at night by the horrific screams of two women who were reportedly murdered in cold blood in the dead of night by an axe-wielding maniac. Legend yes. says if you catch yourself down by the sea caves, you may find yourself face to split face with the ghost <laughs> of the murdered woman. But this isn't merely a legend. You see, the 1873 Smutty Nose murders remain to this day <laughs> some of the most grisly and savage murders in New England history. I just wish people thought about things before they named it. Like, you know, it's like, I'm like, I'm going to name this Smutty Nose. But then one guy was like, what if two people get murdered really gruesomely Uh, on that island? We probably shouldn't name it Smutty Nose. Yeah, because then we'd have to call them the Smutty Nose murders. And that would sound really fucking stupid, wouldn't it? Before we begin, a bit of fair warning. I should have said this up top because we already had an axe, an axe murder one. But we will be discussing some very gruesome details of this horrific slang. So if you're squeamish or can't handle violent descriptions of murder, you might want to skip forward. Quick uh, disclaimer, we're going to make fun of people who got fucking murdered because we're assholes. The following uh, all comes from a piece on NewEngland.com, which I will link in the show notes. It's a bit of a long one. It's a bit of a history, so don't even fucking... I don't want to hear anything, Mason, about it being boring. I have to establish the background in order to understand why it all happened, okay? Sure. Our story begins with Louise Wagner. Uh, sorry, Louis Wagner, a 28-year-old yes. Prussian man living alone and working as a fisherman in the, New, in the New Hampshire and Maine waters off the Isle of Shoals. One day, he had the good fortune to meet John Hauntvent and his wife, Marin. For two years, John and Marin took a personal interest in ensuring that Lewis was well-fed and clothed and eventually went as far as to include him in John's prosperous fishing business. 
Oh, when I the thought Han they were going to say... They're married. They were swingers. Fucking, yeah. When the Han Vince arrived from Norway in 1868, it wasn't long before John established himself and his vessel, the Clarabella, as formidable players in a fishing game, and the couple was living comfortably on their island domain. Although they were quite happy with their new life, the Han Vince missed their family in Norway. Marin loved her red house, which stood out in comparison to the dilapidated shacks scattered throughout the island, but while John was away, her only companion was her small dog, Ringa. Uh, Wagner never truly spoke of his shrouded past, and some had the impression that he was always lurking and listening from the corner of the room. Over time, the three became as close over the two years of their acquaintance. Uh, they became incredibly close, as close as brothers and sister, some would say. In mm. 1871, Marin's wish I came true. I feel like I wouldn't say that. <laughs> In 1871, Marin's wish came true with the arrival of her sister, Karen Christensen, from Norway. A year passed, and John hired Wagner to be a part of his business in June of 1872. Wagner was also given a room in the Hanvents' home, and seemed more part of the family than ever. But in October of that year, John would find himself with more help than he needed with the arrival of his brother Matthew and Marin's brother Ivan Christensen. With Ivan came his wife, Aneth. They had only been married since the previous Christmas. The new arrivals were welcomed and lived with the Hanvents. Wagner only stayed five weeks after Matthew's arrival, and then booked passage as a hand at another fishing schooner, and the Hanvents felt secure in the knowledge that they had helped uh, Lewis get on his feet. But Wagner's luck soon took a turn for the worse. When the fishing boat was wrecked and Lewis earned so little on the Portsmouth wharfs, he barely managed to pay board to the Johnsons with whom he lived. By March 1873, he was destitute. His shoes were worn, his clothes tattered, and he owed three weeks' rent. After a long, severe winter, spring was finally in the air, and the sun rose steadily in the clear sky as John, Matthew, and Ivan set sail in the morning of March 5th, 1873. This is where shit starts to hit the fan, Mason, all right? <clears throat> all right. When the trawl lines were in, they planned to sell the catch in Portsmouth and buy bait arriving on the early train from Boston. At sure. sea, they met a neighbor and asked him to stop at Smutty Nose and tell the women the winds had changed in favor of sailing directly to the mainland, so they wouldn't be stopping to leave one of the men on the island, as was their custom. They'd be home later that evening. When the Clarabella docked, Wagner was there to help tie the vessel to the wharf. He asked John and the others if they would be returning to Smutty Nose that evening, a question they thought curious but not suspect. John explained they would return home if the bait arrived on schedule, but if it was late, they would stay in port, bait their trawl lines, and return home in the morning. He then asked Wagner to help bait the lines, a chore which would consume an entire night. Wagner agreed and left the wharf. He learned the bait had not arrived, and knowing John's profitable business as he did, he concocted a bizarre scheme to burglarize the Honvent home. Here we go. We're ramping up. Wagner I stole feel a, it. <laughs> Wagner stole a dory and rode 12 miles. A dory? What's a dory? It's just like a small, like, um, it's essentially like a, like a, you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean, they always have the ship that they take <laughs> on to, <laughs> to the land. It's one of those. It's just oh, a it's small, like a, it's a a small rowboat. Yeah, like a dinghy. Okay. Um, he rode 12 miles to the Isle of Shoals. Jesus Christ. That guy's which was, arms right. must have been shredded. It, it was hardly an impossible feat because he was a super experienced oarsman as himself. Um, and uh, like John, for instance, had done it multiple times. So at around 10 p.m., the three women in the Hanvent home decided not to wait any longer for the men to arrive. They got in their nightgowns and Marin fixed a bed for Karen in the kitchen. Just Hot. realized that her parents <laughs> named them Marin and Karen. Oh, yeah, that's not good. Don't name your kids. Don't fucking don't do rhyme. that. All right, don't fucking do that. I, oh, the only thing that was worse than that is if their last name was also, like, Baron. 
So it was yeah. like Marin and Karen Marin Baron. Baron and Karen Baron. Where it was <laughs> so anyway, so she fixed a bed for her in the kitchen where it was w- warmer than the upstairs bedrooms. She and Aneth then God, retired. what a terrible time to be right? alive. The fuck it, ugh. She and Aneth then retired to an adjoining bedroom, and as Lewis approached the island, he chose not to land in the cove where the Clarabella was usually moored. Instead, he went around the back of the island and disembarked on the rocky shore. He watched for hours until the lights in the cottage disappeared, and then made his way inside. Confident the women were asleep, he trudged right up to the door in his heavy rubber boots and found the door unlocked. Boom. Mistake number one. Always lock your fucking doors. Always lock your doors. He closed the door behind him and jammed a piece of wood into the latch of the bedroom door behind which Marin and Aneth were sleeping. He tried to do this as quietly as he could, but Ringa barked loudly at that moment, waking Karen. Karen, only being able to see the silhouette of a figure against the window, asked, John, is that you? Marin sat up in bed and called out to her sister, Karen, is something wrong? Half asleep. Karen replied, John scared me. With that, Wagner reached for a chair and struck a crippling blow out of the darkness. The young woman screamed frantically as Wagner continued his attack. Karen, Karen, what's wrong? Marin shouted as she jumped out of bed and tugged at the door. Karen struggled to her feet as Wagner dealt another blow. Battered and bleeding, she was thrown against the bedroom door, freeing the latch and fell at Marin's feet. Wagner rushed again, swinging and hitting both women. But Marin managed to drag her sister out of reach as she closed and barricaded the bedroom door. As Wagner tried to force his way inside... Frightened, Aneth watched from the corner of the room as Marin screamed at her to run. Aneth managed to climb out of the window and stood barefoot in the snow, frozen with fear. Marin once again screamed at her to run, but it was too late. Wagner had given up on trying to get into the room and left the house. As she approached, as he approached Aneth, his true identity was revealed in the moonlight. Luis, Luis, Aneth shrieked. As Aneth stretched out her hands before him, Wagner, the man this family had trusted and cared for, reached into the woodpile and grabbed the axe. In one swift motion, he raised the axe high into the night and brought the steel blade down swiftly on Aneth's head. Her lifeless body shuddered violently and slumped as Wagner continued striking her, all in full view of Marin, who stood so close to the window that she could have reached out and touched him. Seeing that her... <laughs> she should have probably stopped yeah, him well, then, but... Seeing that her sister-in-law could no longer be saved, she turned her attention to her sister, Karen. Karen was kneeling with her uh, head on the mattress and tried... And, and so she went over and tried to revive the dazed woman. Her poor sister, however, was on the verge of fainting and simply uttered, No, too tired. Meanwhile, Wagner had completed his butchering of Aneth and was returning to the bedroom. She hastily, this is Marin, Marin hastily wrapped herself in a heavy skirt and hearing Wagner entering the house, she climbed through the window into the bloodied snow with Ringa, who was now silent, close behind. As she ran, the spinny ice covering the undergrowth tore her bare feet. She yeah. expected to find Wagner's boat in the cove and was near pa- and was uh, in a near panic upon discovering it wasn't there. Her first impulse was to hide in the cellar of a vacant building close by, but she thought better of it, realizing that Wagner would be thinking likewise. Instead, she ran along the shore to the far side of the island. As she passed the cottage, circumventing it as widely as possible, her ears captured the agony of Karen. Shivering and clutching Ringa close to her breast, she crawled between two rocks near the water's edge where the pounding waves obliterated all other sound. At the house, Karen was trying to escape through a window when Wagner burst into the room. He swung the axe wildly at the feeble figure, first on the mark, then missing, splitting the sill and breaking the handle. Karen's listless form melted into the room where Wagner twisted a handkerchief around her throat and pulled mightily until he was sure his deed was final. 
Wagner must have been freaking out when he realized Marin had escaped because he left a bloody trail of footprints to nearly every building on the island in a vain Shit. attempt to forever silence the last person who could identify him. He eventually abandoned the search and returned to the home. He dragged Aneth's body by the feet into the home and exhausted, he then brewed a pot of tea. <laughs> well, Which is, yeah. it's, it's funny because this is a very common thing with these axe murders of the time. I've, I've noticed. Like, the Velisca axe murder... Like, there was evidence that they had sat down for a meal. Like, that one farmhouse where the family was all killed, same thing. Like, the person oh, sat down yeah. for a meal and, like, took care of the chickens and everything. So, it's, like, it's weird that, like, right after they're, like, oh, well, you know what? listen, I've, I go camping sometimes. Mm-hmm. I've, I've chopped some wood. And swinging an axe is <laughs> fucking takes a lot out of you. And so, after a little bit, it's, like, Jesus Christ, I've been... I've been, and whether it's people or boy. wood, you're like, I mm, need a pot I've of deserved, tea I've deserved and a, a meal. I've been working meal. hard. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly So it. he sat down and ate some food he had brought with him using a plate, fork, and knife from the Hanvin's <laughs> kitchen. What is happening? As if to add fucking insult to injury. Uh, after ransacking the house and finding only $15, he departed the home. The next morning, Marin signaled some men from the shore and notified them of what had happened. A few hours later, the Clarabella was spotted on the horizon. Her sails spread majestically, gliding through the warming sunshine on the icy sea. Seeing a signal on shore, Matthew and Ivan rowed a tender to Appledore, and John sailed... That's like the next island over. Because on Smutty Nose, it was pretty much just the Hanvents. There was like nobody else. So after she signaled oh. people down, um, they took her to the, uh, the island next to them with, with a family that they knew. So Matthew and Ivan rode a tender to Appledore and John sailed um, the boat, the uh, Clarabella, to Smutty Nose. Uh, when, when Matthew and Ivan landed, they were told of some trouble on Smutty Nose and they rushed to the Inger Britson house. Where, that, that's where uh, Marin was and they found Marin in a deplorable state. Um, Aneth, where is Aneth? Ivan pleaded. Tearfully, Marin answered, Aneth is at home. Then nice. they rode furiously to Smutty Nose. What, what a, I mean, come on. Uh, They're so poetic in the 1800s, more... you know? Anethis. Anethis. At home. At home. Yeah, but yeah. she's dead. But she, what, but, yeah. Oh, also, yeah, she got a fucking axe in her head. Sorry, real quick. Should have said that. Should have said that. That me. is a much nicer way to say that she got fucking her brain split open by an axe. Should have, known, should have mentioned that. They then rode furiously to Smutty Nose and arrived at the same time as John, and the three stumbled on the grisly scene together. There, lying on the floor, her long gold hair matted in a pool of dried blood, was Ivan's adored lover. Covering his face, he pushed his way out of the door and collapsed senseless in the snow. John and Matthew carried the news to the authorities in Portsmouth, and and the search for Wagner began. Boston police found him trying to board a train with a new suit purchased with the stolen money. He put up no fight. The next day he was transferred, but he was met by angry mobs who demanded he be immediately killed, and they almost did kill him. The mobs did. They attacked, like, the cops and stuff to fucking get to him. You know how it was. A cab. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, yes. He was found guilty, but escaped within the week. But he was oh, recaptured. Oh, And God he damn. was oh, okay. 27 months after the crime was committed, he was hung. Uh, or hanged. Ivan, his spirit yeah. broken, could not bear to leave the neighborhood where he and Annette spent so many happy times. He worked as a carpenter on Appledore for the rest of the summer of 1873, never out of sight of the cottage where he was robbed of his happiness. He never spoke unless spoken to and never lifted his eyes from his work when speaking. At the end of the summer, he returned alone to Norway and was never heard of again. 
Spooky or kooky, eh, Mason? God damn, that's just sad. It's a very tragic one, right? As I stumbled oh on it, I was, I was like reading it at work because I had some downtime and I was working on it, and I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, I don't know if I can continue the day. I'm so I heavy with emotion. Ex-William Penn professor Matt Wagner murdered all those people. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> Let's start a rumor that Matt killed a bunch of people. I'm sure. Killed a bunch of Norwegians. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, no, but I mean, I don't know. That's pretty spooky to think that you'd be so nice to someone and they'd come well, back and yeah, fucking murder you. That's the thing is, it's I get that he was desperate, but that's pretty the people desperate. that fucking took you in, and also well, immediately also because it's like he could have gone away with it by saying, "I'm just here to check on you guys," but immediately he was like, "And I bashed your head in." Like, well, but also to me, it's like you could have just been like, "Hey, I'm a down on my luck again. Can right. I stay here again?" You know what I mean? But then that goes back to other people thinking, because like the Hanvents obviously had a soft spot for him, but other people right. were always super weary of him. So oh. you know what I mean? I just think they misjudged this man, and probably yeah. yeah. I think it's fucking. I think. I, I think it would be spooky, actually, to go visit. Because this island is tiny. It's not very big. It's like a mile. Yeah, the fact that it's an island, too, is kind of... So I think to that, go that there and stay the night would be it. spooky. So to me, it is a spooky legend. Especially when you fucking yeah. hear about the background of it. Fully agree, yeah. yeah. Mason, have we ever been in the woods camping or on a hike? And just, for whatever reason, you separate yourself from your group just for an instant. Maybe to tie a shoe or take a leak, take a dump. And you feel as if something is watching you from the darkness of the forest. Uh, yeah, but that's because I always, every time I go to the woods, I hire somebody to watch me uh, all the time, well, so different. I yeah, okay. don't get mm. taken. Right, right, right. Well, maybe something else is watching. At least that <laughs> is what the legend of the Wood Devils of Coos County suggests. According to witness, these devils stand up to more than seven feet tall, are covered in grayish fur, and are known for their sleek, thin build. Is it just me? But taller things are scarier oh, than shorter yeah. things, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Especially right, when yeah. they're like tall, thin things, because it's like a weirdness to them. Yeah. Fuck tall, thin people. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, a short, plump thing has never done anybody wrong. Right, right. But a, a tall, skinny thing, that's murdered and attacked children. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. They are bipedal and can move with surprising speed. They use their tall, thin build to hide behind trees, and legend has it they are so good at blending in that you might walk into one before you noticed it. They are said to shy away from human contact and prefer the remote woods of New Hampshire near the Canadian border. Some have suggested that these wood devils might be related to... <laughs> are you looking at the picture? Yes. It's kind of funny that it's making like a la- like a smiling face. It's just like... Mm. <laughs> hey... <laughs> I'm just a silly old wood devil. I'm yep. just a little wood devil. Don't oh. mind me. <laughs> Some have suggested that these wood devils might be related to Sasquatches or Bigfoots. However, their sleek build has others thinking that they might be something else entirely. Something we have never seen the likes of before. Locals will tell you that these creatures were much more uh, abundant in the early 1900s, but some sightings continue to be recorded today. A man reported seeing one in early November 2004 while deer hunting with his grandfather. Both men reportedly saw the creature, which they said was tall with a long pointed head and gave off a high-pitched screech. The following is from their incident report that they gave to the Gulf Coast Bigfoot Research Organization. Quote, (laughs) Gulf Coast Research. We headed into the woods at about 5 a.m. This was during deer hunting season. 
We thought this was going to be the year that we finally got that trophy buck, but we were in for a surprise. As we got to our spot under a big white spruce tree on a hillside, the ground was now snow covered. We sat there and waited for the sun to rise so we could load our browning 30, uh, 6. Yeah. Yep. Rifles. See, I put that, in, that bin in there for you. My little, my little, oh. my little, my little gun enthusiast. I uh, I had a Browning XS Skeet. That's all I. That's, that's the only gun I've ever owned. Wow, you're so cute. Right before the time Thanks. came for us to load our rifles, we noticed a strange noise about a hundred yards ahead of us, and it was almost like a high pitched yell slash squeal. We looked oh, over. Oh shit! I shot myself. Fuck. <laughs> that's just what they hear. Oh. Fuck, it's definitely me, a human man, who shot himself in the foot. Fuck! Jeff, uh, Jeff, I think that might be a monster. No, it's just a human. Please, somebody help. I definitely said that it's not a human and that we shouldn't help. Ah! Yeah, that's a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, <laughs> if I've ever heard one. We looked over and walking from behind a bush, we saw a dark figure that stood about six or seven feet tall with a long pointy head. Me and my grandfather had stood there in awe. We had never seen anything like it in our 25 years of hunting in the area. We were very frightened by the creature, so we did not attempt to get any closer. But we watched it walk away as we as he hiked down the ridge. We were in shock. After he was out of sight... <laughs> I'm imagining he sounds like Goofy. Yeah, I'm imagining, yeah, just... <laughs> After he was out of sight, we waited about 10 minutes to collect our thoughts and decide whether what we saw was real or if the cold was just getting to us. To prove we hadn't lost our minds, we decided to go see if the creature had left any footprints. Guess oh, what? Yeah. It I did. did. <laughs> <laughs> we walked over to where we had where we had seen the Bigfoot pass through, and there were footprints approximately 15 to 18 inches long with a stride of about 4 to 6 feet. There's no way any human could have made those impressions. Right then and there, me and my grandfather decided to call it a day and we have not been back to the hunting spot since. In another incident that took place in 2000, a husband and wife were taking a sunrise hike when a tall, hairy, barefooted creature on two legs crossed the trail in front of them. It would seem by all accounts that this might be some Bigfoot-like creature, but their behavior doesn't seem to match that of previously reported Sasquatches. So perhaps they're a distant cousin or a different creature altogether, masquerading to fit into our well-known legends. Regardless, what do you think, Mason? Spooky wookie or googie boogie? <laughs> uh, just based on that picture, it's, it's fucking dumb. I think I think it sounds spooky, but then I looked at that picture and I was like, "Well, okay." The idea, though, of this fucking face—the idea of this like tall, strange creature that can blend in perfectly—and is is scary to me. The idea of anything that can blend in perfectly, like the idea of perfect hiding, is just incredibly. Yeah, that's it's it's called the Predator. It's, yes, we made a movie about it already. <laughs> Stupid fucking <laughs> smile! Oh my god! Uh, yep, yeah, I'm just a widow wood devil. I ain't gonna hurt nobody. Yep, yeah, uh, those are my feet prints. Oh yep, oh yep. Mason, for our final uh, one, we have a legend that to the uneducated may not seem like a threat. Or anything bad. To, those, to a bunch of stupid dummies. But to those of us who are aware of what these little furry bastards can do, this shit might strike a chord. I'm talking about primates, Mason. Monkeys, specifically. 
You see, in the depths of New Hampshire lives a strange legend. The legend of the devil monkeys of Danville. Since the 1930s, sightings of strange primate-like creatures have been reported in the area. These devil monkeys are described as being similar to baboons, but much larger, faster, and a hell of a lot meaner. The descriptions of these creatures state that they are three to eight feet tall, walking on all fours or occasionally upright, with larger feet, fully haired bodies, and monkey or dog-like faces, with a usually protruding snout. All right, this is just getting racist against Italians at this point. <laughs> what? I just think that's Italian. I think they just saw Italian people. Jesus Christ. And they're being racist. I'm not doing it. I think that... I I, think, I, I, okay. <laughs> Cryptozoologists believe this creature to be different from any other cryptid, stating they are their own creature, rather than a juvenile Sasquatch or a misidentified chupacabra. These right. devil monkeys are said to be powerful enough to leap a whole field in a few bounds. They attack their victims, usually livestock, wildlife, and pets, by tearing at them with their razor-sharp claws and ripping at them with their sharp teeth and incredibly strong jaws. They, am, they aim for the soft, vulnerable areas like the belly, face, and extremities in order to truly bring down their prey. Sightings <laughs> of these devil monkeys began in the spot. They're not afraid to bite your dick off. All right? That's what that means. And here's the okay, thing. I got right? it. Okay. Jesus. Here's the thing. Regular monkeys are already fucking scary enough. And everybody's like, what, Jose? What are you talking about? Regular monkeys aren't scary. They're cute. No. Those fuckers will claw your goddamn face off if it comes to it. All right? That's true. They, you smile, you look at them wrong, you fucking smile, and they're fucking ripping your eyes out. They don't yeah, fuck around. I they're agree with cute. you there. Like you they're know, like, it's like a, they're super strong. Yeah, you know, um, what are the? They, I always think I was confusing with baboons, but they're not baboons. Um, mandrills. You know what a mandrill is, right? Yeah. Those fucking terrify me. <laughs> what was the? Wasn't there a woman who had like an like a like a like a primate and? Like a monkey, and it fucking ripped her face off, and she had to get yeah. like uh, facial yeah. reconstructive surgery and yeah. shit. Yeah, like yeah. Ma- like look up a mandrel or a drill or a baboon, and they're fucking scary. Or just just look up a shaved, a hairless chimpanzee. And like, it's like there's there's that scene in the new Jumanji, uh, the next level where they like get chased by the fucking mandrels. I literally was, I was like genuinely terrified. I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like, all right, well, a little bit of this is you, but I agree that, yeah, they can be terrifying. Whew. Anyway, fuck them and their weird butts. The Danville, <laughs> so <laughs> the sightings of these devil monkeys began in the small town of Danville in the fall of 2001. Strange howling noises pierced the night, unlike any of the previous sounds heard from the local wildlife. The Danville Ooh. fire chief. <laughs> Oh my god, what is that? Ooh. 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 Oh my god, that sounds like a devil monkey! Ooh. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the Danville Fire Chief reported seeing a reddish-brown-coated primate with razor-like claws and a dog-like muzzle running through the streets of Danville in the pre-dawn hours of September night. Hey, fire this fucking fire chief. He's obviously doing <laughs> fucking LSD or something. <laughs> I was tripping balls on mushrooms. Over the span of the next two weeks, there were nine more sightings of the Danville devil monkeys, sending the town into a panic. Parents began to refuse to let their children out after sunset, and the whole town was on edge, constantly looking over their shoulder for the furry beast. Search parties were organized but turned up nothing, and the sightings stopped, and so life returned back to normal in Danville. 
There are some who believe that the creature was nothing more than a feral primate of some sort, with no demonic qualities to it. But others remain... It was convinced. just a regular loose primate yeah. in, uh, in New Hampshire, not a, not a demon one? Yeah. Okay. But others remain convinced that what they saw does not exist on any list of known primate species currently known to man. Could this devil monkey be nothing more than a figment born of mass hysteria? Or could it be perhaps the devil monkey has moved deeper into New Hampshire to find new hunting grounds in the secluded mountains of northern New Hampshire? Either way, <laughs> fuck this thing, man. <laughs> what do you make of this, Mason? Is it Rise of the Planet of the Spooky Apes, or is it more like that shitty remake with Marky Mark and a, a load of batshit kookiness? Uh, I'm just going to call it kooky because, first off, I mean, worst case scenario is that they've got a... That a, a zoo lost a, a monkey, and it's running around Danville. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like the fact that they're like, not only is it a is it a, is it a primate, but it is a devil primate. I'm like, no, I don't I don't buy that. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like what? what it's, I don't know. I don't even understand you. Like, who's you're that scared of of monkeys? I'm not that scared. I'm just weary of them. All right, they're fucking scary. They can't. I mean, like. Some, have oh. you heard? Sometimes their screams imitate human screams perfectly. Yeah, sure. You're in the they fucking jungle, be. and then you just hear like them shouting, and, and you, they're oh. yeah. But mountain lions do that too. I mean, uh, listen. right? And I'm also I don't fuck with mountain lions. Well, I get it. First off, if I'm in the mountains and I hear a person scream, good luck. You're on your own. Right. Second off, uh, I'll. Be, I mean, I think I can outsmart a monkey. Oh. I think I think if I had to get into a hand-to-hand combat with a monkey, I would lose absolutely. Oh, yes, 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 yes. But if I had time to prepare, I'd win. But you wouldn't. But you wouldn't if, have time to prepare. If I had time to prepare, but I'm saying if I did though, I would win. I'd beat him. I'd sure. I can, if you're going could, to the fucking zoo to fight the monkeys, so you have time to prepare. But if you're in the wilderness, you no. Not. But if I was in the wilderness and it's like a monkey's coming in like two days, I could beat that monkey. <laughs> How do you know the monkey's coming in two days? I don't know. I'm just they saying. They like a monkey telegram. <laughs> it's a fucking banana. Yeah, you I open it know. up and it's like two days. I'm kicking your <laughs> ass, bitch. Two days, ooh, ooh, bitch. ah. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, if I had time, I could murder. I could kill a monkey. Well, sure. I mean, if I have a gun, I could kill it. I'm not gonna be. Scared I think of I could or. probably do it with like a few knives, a you big enough a knife. Fucking, I think I could kill a. You monkey, give me a machete a and all these fucking yeah. mandrels. I'm I'm cutting them all up. Not that yeah, I want to. Not that I'm advocating for the murder <laughs> of mandrels, but I'm I just am. saying. I'm fucking. I think we should be murdering more mandrels. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's kooky to me too. But yeah, no, I just I don't know. I mean, I get it. They're scary. If I were like, if I were like, if it was like the Harambe situation where I got dropped into a cage, but if I had time to prepare, that kid fucking jumped in. You know what? That kid lived, and the the gorilla died. So I'm gonna agree with you. (laughs) But also, yeah, I mean, but if all, but if I had time to prepare, I could fucking, I'd murder a gorilla, no problem. All right. Uh, no problem. That. Oh, you don't. What do you mean you don't know about that? I, I get it. They're gorilla? huge. They're huge. I get it. But I could fucking take one if I were if I had time to prepare. Mm. If I you give me you give me two thousand dollars and two days, I'll fucking murder gorilla. No problem. <laughs> two thousand dollars. Yeah. All right. <laughs> to, to buy guns and right. traps. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Do you know how easy it would be? It'd be so easy. <laughs> I, absolutely. 
And with that, it's time to wrap the show up. If you like the show, make sure to leave a five-star review, which you can do in-app. We'd really appreciate it. Plus, it really helps the show, and we'll read your review on the show, just like we're going to do with Jesus1567's review, who writes, Love this podcast. Really makes my shift at work fly. The only thing that kind of upsets me is the fact that Mason sounds like he got milk in his mouth. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> you do bring up a good point. You do I, sound like you have milk in your mouth, Mason. I don't even... I don't know what that means. It means you sound like you have milk in your mouth. I don't know what do the last time... you have milk time, in your mouth? I, I don't even remember the last time I drank, like, a glass of milk. It's probably because it's still in your mouth. It's not... It's not that. It's gross. I don't drink milk. I don't... I don't even drink milk. I First off... I don't even know where to begin with this. I... I don't I don't drink milk in general. When I do have cereal, which is the closest thing I get to drinking milk, I use soy milk. Still a type of milk. Still sounds like you got soy yeah. milk in your mouth. You can I support the show. <laughs> you can support the show. I just don't get what that means. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash captain's logcast and donate a dollar. Uh, or similarly, you can also donate whatever amount you'd like on Venmo by Venmoing J Via27. Anything helps keep the lights on. Remember, if you donate, it all goes towards improving the show, getting better every dollar, equipment. <laughs> every dollar you donate helps me, <laughs> helps us Fucking find a cure, <laughs> helps us find a cure for milk mouth. <laughs> or, on the flip side, finance Mason's operation to kill a gorilla. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mason, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mason Schrader. Um, that's about it. You still under that over underpass or overpass? Oh, I'm still screaming. Uh, yeah, on underpasses around the country. Are you gonna be so, there in the winter, or do you take a break during the winter? Oh no, I just put on a jacket. Oh, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> you can always find me there screaming. You, you can follow me on Instagram at j.valle underscore junior. And the show on Twitter at Captain's Log Pod. We recommend various different materials on there. Post show updates, tweet some occasionally funny things or interesting things. Uh, like we did a whole thing where we like tweeted um, snippets of information about the uh, Conjuring, like the stories behind the Conjuring uh, house and stuff like that. So go check it out. Uh, you can also subscribe on YouTube, or you can find me as Jose Valle Jr. Animal Productions, and of course the show's official YouTube channel, Captain's Log. Make sure to tell your friends and family about the show if you enjoy it. And if you'd like to tell us about how we missed a bunch of details about a certain story or how we shouldn't be advocating for the death of mandrels, you can do um, that by no, writing I'm, into captainslogcast at gmail.com. You can also suggest episode topics, guests you'd like to have back on, etc. Make sure to subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play and any other podcast directory thanks to max benyon for composing the show's theme and with that everybody we have reached the end of our show we'll see you in two weeks for another episode i've been your captain jose Valle jr joined by uh first mate first officer first officer mason milkmouth schrader <laughs> and this has been captain's log end of transmission Boop, 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 boop,